No, that's neat when you, it's like you can hear a song a hundred times and then you kind of decide what it's about in your head. And then when you actually hear from the songwriter, it's like, hey, it's about this. It's about me not being a wild, you know, yeah. free spirit anymore. And, uh, oh yeah, Mr. Post, it's like, what? I hear it now, you know? Yeah, and now that's all I can think about. Welcome to The Right Note, a podcast dedicated to the independent author. From the craft of storytelling to the business side of publication, we cover it all. I'm Jay Ryan Fenzel. And I'm Kira F. Jacobs. And this is The Right Note. In this episode, we dive into the world of music and share our picks of songwriting gold. Welcome back to The Right Note. Remember to join our community and follow us on Instagram at The Right Note Podcast. And if you like what you hear, Post a nice comment about the show on podchaser.com. Okay, here. So today's show, we're, we're uh, like you said, we're diving into the musical world. And I believe that some of the best writing you'll find is found in the lyrics of a song. And uh, in the show, we intend to provide what we think are examples of this. Now, Carrie, you and I, we both love music. This is very true. And in particular, songs that contain great writing. I mean, I don't just mean great musical songs. So there's there's some songs that I think are are like there's some virtuoso guitar playing and things, but the lyrics are just kind of there. And that's not really what we're focusing in on, on on the show. We want to really highlight the writing. For a long while now, I mean, we've been kind of sharing our love of music with each other. And one thing we used we used to do, or we haven't done in a while, but we did these the lyric challenge texts, remember? I was thinking about how we used, I was thinking the other day, how we used to do the lyric challenge text. And I was thinking how we haven't done it in a long time, but it used to be like a regular thing that we would do. It was like every week or like every other day. I think this podcast is is kind of taking the place of some of that communication. But in the lyric challenge, what I would do is I'd send you two or three lines of a song at random. There could be any song, any genre. And then you'd have to give me the next line and tell me the song that it's from, right? So we were always into the writing and the lyrics from way back. And and I kind of think, and I've touched on this before too, I think that the constraints of song structure actually helps the lyricists produce good writing because there's certain rules, especially pop song structure with certain rhyming conventions or uh, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out, and things like that. But I, I think it kind of forces a writer to be very judicious in the words he uses and forces him to be concise to get his message across, you know? Yeah, I agree. Because if you're listening to a song, I think, obviously, you listen to the whole thing, but you focus more on the chorus because you're hearing the chorus over and over, whereas the verses you're hearing once. So I think a lot of songs that last throughout the years have not only good verses, but like an excellent chorus, because that's what most people sing. Like if I were to say, oh, do you know this one song? You know, and I'll start singing the chorus and you'll say, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm not going to start with like the first line of staying alive. <laughs> I'm not going to start with the first line. Everyone just goes right to, ah, 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 staying alive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and you know, and and the best songs are the ones that the chorus and the verse and the bridge they all work together, and there's this thread of continuity that 
the the, the songwriter. And I guess what I kind of like a lot uh, or most in the really good songs is the storytelling component to the songs. Uh-huh. I think there's a very strong cross-pollination between legit storytelling and songwriting. Like country music does this better than any other genre, I think, you know, with the, they are, they are the kings of story songs, you know? Yeah. But in the seventies too, that it was kind of popular for the folk songwriters to kind of tell these stories and their lyrics. So yeah, uh, that's why I think it's just a, a great topic to cover on the right note because we're all about storytelling and writing and story songs kind of fit right into that. Even if I were to sit down and write a poem because I want to and I enjoy it, I'm never going to make it into a song because I'm not an artist. But that's how artists come up with songs is they basically write poems and then they put melody to it. So even if you're just a poet, you're halfway to an artist. You know, it's like all intertwined. Songwriter, you're kind of a hybrid, right? You're a hybrid poet and musician. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say artist. This musician is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, Bob Dylan was a quintessential poet musician, right, from the 60s. He was pretty much the poet laureate of 60s folk music. But the storytelling aspect, I think, leads us straight into our segment, Character is King, because in Character is King, we pick fictional characters each, each episode from books, music, poems, or what have you. And we explain why we believe they're beautiful, uh, amazing creations. And and in this edition, uh, we are going to do a Characters King music edition. And we are each picking a fictional character who is known for singing or is a musician, which was a little tricky, I think, we discussed before the show on on this particular Characters King. It was tricky. But I think in the end, it will be worth it. I think so. And actually, Kara, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. So at first I was lost because I was like, oh no, don't think I really even know a character who's like a musician or what have you. But then I went to Disney because a lot of their, a lot of their movies are musicals, a lot of the characters sing. So that's kind of where I went. And I ended up picking my favorite Disney princess, Rapunzel from Disney's Tangled. And the reason I picked her is because, okay, all Disney princesses sing and that's, normal but entangled rapunzel actually sit all of her songs pretty much like explain her life like she is storytelling through her song so like the first song that she sings is literally about her life and it's her daily routine she's singing her daily routine so you learn instantly literally everything that rapunzel does in the day right right you know and she's singing about how she's like longing to leave the tower so then she's singing about her passions and what she's what she wants and what she doesn't have. And so her songs actually drive the story. Like you could watch that movie without dialogue and you can know her struggles and her conflicts and her motives and her passions through her songs. Disney's great at that. Disney Pixar, I mean, they're the masters of kind of telling the story through through music. I mean, I always wanted uh if I ever taught a class in storytelling, I was always gonna use the opening scene of um, Beauty and the Beast for how to set up a story. Oh, yeah. We talk about that. Yeah, because you meet every character. You you know their motivations. You got the setting. It's all right there in the first three minutes of the, of the movie. It's it's great. It is great. So that was my pick. Yeah, you know, you won't believe this, but I actually considered Tangled myself. That would have been funny because I wouldn't expect you to pick Tangled. Well, I, 
Because you know why? Because uh, your sister Marissa and I went to this Disney immersive experience back in February. And, you know, they projected these big, you know, on the walls and everything. And uh, But one of the uh, song sections they had was from Tangled. And they did, uh, what's the song with her and the, the lanterns? And um, At Last I See the Light. Yeah. And I'd forgotten how good that movie is until I saw that. So good. It's the best. Good pick, Karen. Very good pick. All right. I'm curious to hear yours. Mine. I honestly don't know if you're going to know this or not. I feel like you say that every character is king. <laughs> no, no. You see, last time, you really should have known Phineas Fogg. But I digress. I know who Phineas Fogg is. Okay. So, my pick. Character is king. Music edition. Are the Blues Brothers. John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. And I see the quizzical look on your face. Have you heard of the Blues Brothers? I have, but my brain went to the Mills Brothers. So you're going to have to elaborate on the Blues okay. Brothers. Okay, <laughs> so the Mills Brothers. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the Blues Brothers, they, they originated in a skit on Saturday Night Live in the 70s. And it's John Belushi. Do you know who John Belushi? I don't think you're hip to John Belushi because he actually died like way before you were born. Is this a fake person? A what? Okay, so this is a real person. It's not a fi- it's not a fictitious. John Belushi, no, he is an actor, a comedian actor, and Dan Aykroyd. Blues Brothers are Blues Brothers are fake. They're fictional, and what they were is they'd come out on stage wearing black suit, black pants, white shirt, black tie, sunglasses, and they'd sing blues songs. But they do it in a kind of funny, comical way. I mean, it was weird because they would really perform real blues songs. But it would be funny when they did it, you know, and it was a very popular skit. And then they developed it into a movie in 1980. You know, it's a very loose storyline of uh, the, the brothers are Jake and Elwood. And Jake is John Belushi and he gets out of prison and he goes on a quest of redemption, kind of. And the way he does it, he's got to raise money for a Catholic orphanage. And he feels that that's going to redeem him. So he used to be him and his brother Elwood, who's Dan Aykroyd, used to be in a blues band. So the whole movie is them going around collecting all the band members, get the band back together. That's kind of their ongoing kind of joke. Say, get the band back together, you know. And and, and the movie is just an excuse for coarse jokes, car chases, and uh, and actual blues performances. And what's kind of amazing is they actually tapped a lot of great blues legends to be in the movie, like Aretha oh, really? Franklin, yeah, Cap Calloway, oh, James cool. Brown, Ray Charles, John Lee Hooker. I mean, they all appeared in it, and because there were actual performance sections of the movie, where and and I think Belushi and Aykroyd truly do love blues music, and they they wanted to showcase that along with their comedy in the movie. So that is my pick. Interesting pick. And now I kind of want to go watch that. Very funny. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> it, it's a it's a certain brand of humor, though. I I, I don't, don't know, know if it's, mine. <laughs> if it's yours. Or not. I wonder if Hayden knows about it. Ask him about the Blues Brothers. If Hayden thinks it's funny, I might not. Because he always shows me these skits, and I'm like, this is, what? Why are you laughing at this? (laughs) (laughs) One last little bit about the Blues Brothers is they had cameo appearances by some famous actors in the movie, too. One of them was Carrie Fisher. No way. And this is, like, on the heels of Star Wars. And she played this, like, psycho ex-girlfriend or ex-wife of Jake. Pretty funny. And then John Candy was in it uh, also. Just a little bit part. So, yeah, good movie. That's funny. Good uh, 
good, funny movie. All right. Let's let's get to our favorite examples of great songwriting. But like we discussed, some of the best writing you're going to find is is found in the in the, in the lyrics of a song. And you and I task each other with picking out three songs that we feel exemplifies that. So who who would like to go first, Kira? Would you or me? I want you to go first. Okay. <laughs> what I've done with my picks is. I kind of targeted three specific eras of music. Okay. It's kind of the 60s era, and then the 80s era, and then kind of today, relatively close to today. Okay, that's good, because I covered I covered the 70s and a little bit modern. Okay. So my first song that I feel has fantastic writing is a song called Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry. And... He also has a uh, writing credit to Jack Temchin, which I don't know who that is. So he had some hand in it, but I think majority of the writing went to Fry. The song actually comes off of Fry's album called The All-Nighter. It came out in 1984. And this is after the Eagles had broken up. So Fry was with the Eagles through the 70s, and he really honed his songwriting skills. When they broke up, he kept working on it, and a lot of his chops are, are really mastered. And you see that in his solo work in the 80s. And Smuggler's Blues is a great example of kind of storytelling song, but it's got so much in it. Smuggler's Blues is a bluesy rock song about drug trafficking. And, and, it, and it's told through the eyes of a narrator who has gotten himself involved in this world of trafficking and, and drug selling. He, he couldn't resist getting into it for the enticements that were there. And the song opens with a drug dealer that gone bad, and he escapes, and he, he pays someone to carry this suitcase full of drugs through customs. And then Fry kind of breaks into this dissertation or an explanation of the vast network of drug trafficking that exists. I mean, he gets into the, the, the soldiers and the sailors and the, the aliases people use, and it's just a sprawling picture that he creates. And at the end of the verse, he kind of says... Maybe you'd understand it if you're standing in my shoes. It's the ultimate enticement. And it's just such a rich picture of the world and the character. Fascinating thing about it is he does all that in like two verses of the song. He doesn't waste a word. Mm -hmm. You understand the character's motivation, his enticement. He makes every single word count in the song, and he's very concise. And he has a transition between the first and second verse where... It leads from him escaping the drug deal gone bad to him paying this person to go through customs. And I know when I'm writing, and I don't know if it's for you, Kira's, when you're writing transitional passages, like getting a character from point A to point B, I always struggle with how much I need to say. Yeah, me too. Uh, he walks down the stairs, gets in his car, drives down 59 or whatever. And if you think about it, you don't need to put all that information in there, right? And, and that's a, a great example in this song between the first and second verse is you totally understand what's going on and 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 it's very economic word use because he's you know he's in the structure of the song you know he's he's constrained by the structure so
that is one of my favorite uh, examples of great songwriting, uh, great storytelling in songs, Smuggler's Blues. I'm ready for your first selection. I picked, do you remember this song, Feel It Still by Portugal the Man? Yes, I do. Okay. He's like, sings it in a falsetto, kind of. Yes. I I actually thought it was a woman singing until I realized <laughs> Portugal the Man. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a guy. That's right. It's it's right in the name of the band. I know. Portugal the Woman? So, Feel It Still, Portugal the Man. It was released in 2017 on the album titled Woodstock. The lead singer of the band is John Gourley. And and he explains what the song is about, which if I, when I started researching it, I would have had no idea just because the lyrics kind of, are out there and I've, you know, kind of thought it was about something else, but he explains that it's simply about how he has a wife and a daughter and he's really a family man now in this stage of life that he's in, but he's, he was out there performing when this song was big and having fun and all while thinking about his daughter and wishing he was home with his family. So he was explaining in the song that he feels that he's moved on from his punk day. Like he's moved on from like that touring and having, you know, just being kind of rebelly wild, but because he's, he really wants to be with his family, but he still feels it in him, this like want to go out there and tour, you know, but here is something that I learned that was super interesting about this song. And I think this is what makes it to me like extra special. So he talked, he, I I think he said he lives in Alaska, which is, he has a crazy life anyway, but he grew up listening to like sixties music. And so in his song, there's a line that says, I've been feeling it since 1966, which is weird because I was like, why would he say that he was born in the 80s? Like, he hasn't been feeling this punk stage, you know, since the 60s. Like, he's, he's, he's not that old. But the reason he says that is because this song is playing tribute to the 1961 song, Please, Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. And there's a line in the song that says, Ooh, ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks, man. Follows the same rhythm and melody as, oh, yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Ah, so ah. I had, I had like never made that connection. But once I did, I was like, I hear it now. Like it's the same kind of rhythm and, you know, it falls in line with that, but it's enough to where you almost don't pick it up unless you know. But I thought that was really interesting. neat when you it's like you can hear a song a hundred times and then you kind of decide what it's about in your head and then when you actually hear from the songwriter it's like hey it's about this it's about me not being a wild you know yeah free spirit anymore and uh oh yeah mr post it's like what i hear it now you know yeah and now that's all i can think about but i think it's cool that like maybe him listening to the to 60 songs like influenced him in his writing Right. So I thought that was really interesting. And now every time I hear that song, I'm like, 
singing Mr. Postman and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my first pick. Good one, Kara. I like that. I like learning stuff about songs. My second selection is from the 60s, and it is Eleanor Rigby by Paul McCartney, in parentheses, John Lennon. It's from their album Revolver in 1966, and obviously performed by the Beatles. Now, Eleanor Rigby, it, what was interesting about this song is it was kind of the beginning of the transformation of the Beatles from uh, just a rock and roll, girls and music kind of band to something more substantive in their writing. It was a transformation they were going through. And, and the other thing that made it different is like the strings behind it and the actual, uh, I guess, topic of the song. And this is one song where there's a little controversy over, over the writing credits because it, it's McCartney's idea. And there were lots of little comments about who had a hand in, in writing it in. And, and later <laughs> later on, uh, Lennon kind of remembered it differently than McCartney about having written more. But I, I kind of think McCartney did the most of it. Oh. Okay, so in the song, the narrator is kind of detached from the situation. It isn't, you know, the I want to hold your hand. It's me, it's first person. It, it's, like a, it's like a third person novel type point of view. He's like an onlooker. And he's telling the story of these basically two characters, Eleanor Rigby and Father McKenzie. And it's a kind of a short song, but he paints really vivid pictures of these characters and, and their lives and how they're lonely and depressed. And it, it kind of strikes a chord. And there's the background vocals that kind of remind me of a Greek chorus, like in between lines, the, whoever sings the background is like, oh, look at all the lonely people, you know? And it's kind of like commenting on the situation that the, the narrator is telling you about, you know. And and the verses are structured to really great effect because uh, in a lot of cases, the lines set up a situation for one of the characters. And then the last part of the line, is it's kind of like a gut punch in what he says, you know, like Eleanor Rigby died alone with her name. Nobody came. And then the, the line with Father McKenzie walks from the grave, uh, wiping the dirt from a hand as he walks from the grave. Then he says, no one was saved. And it kind of exemplifies this lonely situation they're both in. Like, does anybody care about these people and, and, and what's going on? So very effective songwriting. And again, it's like there's not a happy resolution or a solution. It's just a somber commentary on loneliness and depression. And it was a big step for the Beatles to come out uh, with a song like that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my number two. Okay. I guess the my next one kind of has the same vibe in a way. But so my next song is sung by Don McLean and it's Vincent, ah, which is God. now people call Starry Starry Night. But it was released in his 1971 album titled American Pie. And he wrote the song after reading a book about the life of Vincent Van Gogh. And he said that he had to write a song that argued that Vincent Van Gogh wasn't crazy, but that he had an illness. Reading the book about Vincent Van Gogh, he just really saw 
the deeper issues that Van Gogh struggled with. And I think that this is really intriguing to me because I'm always interested in like the tortured artist thought, because I think a lot of artists kind of do struggle with, you know, kind of living in this like creative mindset and then having to fall out of that in their real life and do like mundane everyday things and constantly want to be somewhere else. So I do think it's true that, you know, most artists are in a different mental state and therefore turn to creativity to ease their minds. Unfortunately, Vincent van Gogh ended up taking his own life and people thought it was because he was just crazy. But I agree with Don McLean. I don't think, you know, Vincent van Gogh was crazy, but he had a mental illness and that was how he ended up, you know, coping with it. I appreciate the song that Don McLean wrote because I think it's it's just a it's just a pretty song anyway, but I think sheds a good light on on the side of Vincent Van Gogh that that Don seemed to understand. And I think one of my favorite lines in the song is but I could have told you, Vincent, this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. I always thought that line was so pretty and really heartfelt. And when no hope was left inside on that starry, starry night, you took your life as lovers often do. But I could have told you, Vincent, this world was never meant for one as beautiful One of my favorite songs, I listened to it sung by Josh Groban, but Josh Groban did not write this song. Who did you hear it sing it first? Josh Groban or McLean? I heard Josh Groban sing it like personally first, but Don McLean was the one who wrote it. Right. Well, I know what Don McLean wrote. I was just curious with you, you, because you're, you know, younger generation. Yeah, I heard Josh first. So so they never uh they never made the version of the song. That we talked about. Remember the uh, <laughs> no. who was that guy who did the like the little vocal noises and car crash songs? Um, <laughs> who was that? It just like sing a song, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, it'd be <laughs> 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 That's so stupid, so stupid. We joked about Starry Night being done like that. <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you would laugh at that song, pick. <laughs> I'm not laughing at it. I'm laughing at a, a nice little comical thing we had associated with the song. Yeah, so that, that was my second pick. Classic uh, American song composer, Don McLean. And, and, and I, my third pick, is I guess will one day be considered a classic American song composer as well. And this is going to surprise you. I'll bet you. No. Yes. Ready? My third pick. Yeah, the era is basically kind of a today, more or less today era. And the song is Blank Space, Taylor Swift, from her album 1989 in 2014, <laughs> performed by Taylor Swift. Songwriting credits also go to Max Martin and a producer named Shellback. Go ahead, say it. I didn't see it coming, but I'm not surprised. I remember talking about this song with you when it came out. Uh-huh. See, I always had an affinity for it. Yes, you did. Tell me why. What well, was funny, Swift wrote the song. And she wanted to be like an, a satire about herself because the media was always portraying her as, uh, you know, I guess she had a lot of dating mishaps at that time in her life. And um, Swift in an interview said something like, yeah, the, uh, the media perceived her as a girl who's crazy but seductive, but glamorous, but nuts, but manipulative. And that's exactly 
who the character in the song is. And she said after it came out, half the people got the joke that she was making. Uh-huh. And half the people thought that she was finally owning up to who she is. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then she was a psychopath. But it's it's been seven weeks of number one on the Billboard charts. And it was eight times platinum and earned three Grammy nominations. So a successful song. What, what I like about it is a very vivid character in it. It's a celebrity serial dater and a drama queen who seems to be living her life her erratic social life in the media, which is kind of a hyper uh, example of what Taylor Swift was going through at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And the lyrics through the verses are kind of clipped and you create these image fragments and it's kind of sets a mysterious tone, you know, about who she is and, and what she's after, you know? The chorus, it kind of admits her reckless relationships have led to many ex lovers. And she's, it's kind of like a warning to this, this guy she's singing to. It's like, because we're young and we're reckless, we'll take this way too far. It'll leave you breathless or with a nasty scar. And oh, hey, I got a long list of ex-lovers, which everyone remembers so many people thought it was Starbucks lovers. And she goes, they'll tell you I'm insane. <laughs> yeah, Starbucks lover, that, that cracked me up. But And at the end of it, it says, I've got a blank space, baby. And then what was funny is there's that little click sound. Uh-huh. And I remember you were telling me your friend Betty thought it was like, you know, also points out and goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> my research for the song, it, it's actually like a pen clicking is what they were trying to get. It. <laughs> so that was funny. But but I, I, I like it because I always picture the song as it would make a great Broadway musical song, like a moment for the character, one of the characters in it to kind of show who they are. You know, it's just kind of describing yeah. their character and. But, but Swift had said that when she wrote it, what she had done was collect a lot of one-liners, like, because um, darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. And she strung all these together. And it actually hangs together as a coherent character study of this character, this person. And there's some other, you know, like I like the line is, I get drunk on jealousy is just a good way uh-huh. to say that, you know. Dressed like a daydream. So it's gonna be forever, or it's gonna go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over, mm-hmm. if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane. Cause you know I love the players, and you love the guests. Cause we're young and we're reckless. We'll take this way too far, it'll leave you breathless. Kudos to Taylor Swift on on piecing that together, kind of making this this it's self-deprecating, but it's just a, a well put together uh, song about a pretty uh, uh, humorous and funny character based on an exaggerated yeah. view of herself. Yeah. Oh my gosh, look at that face! You look like my next mistake. That was my favorite one of that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my last song is "Sleep on the Floor" by the Lumineers. And it was released in 2016 on the album titled Cleopatra. They are a folky band, so they kind of sing acoustic type music. 
I almost call it like road trip music because it's music that you would listen to on a road trip, like if you were traveling out west or something. But their song "Sleep on the Floor" it it just really encompasses like the feeling of freedom that almost like every teenager or young adult experiences. It like gives a glimpse of that time in our lives when we're still living with our parents or we're like still living in our hometown, but we're on the edge of getting to make our own decisions and deciding on where we go or what we'll do. And it's like, you're like about to step over that line of you can do whatever you want. And I think every, like really everyone has that crazy realization as they get older of like, oh my gosh, I can do anything. I can make that decision. I can go wherever. I can do whatever. And you're on the cusp of becoming independent. Yeah. And you haven't been jaded by the years of disillusionment or whatever. So you're very optimistic, you know, and it, and it kind of captures that that feeling. Yes. And I think like listening to this song now, it's almost kind of somber because as you get older and start to settle into life that you've you know created you all like lose that sense of I can do anything because you've already taken those leaps and you've landed somewhere and it might not be as glamorous as you thought or like your dreams didn't punch through. So it's like your sense of wonder or possibility is gone. That's why I love this song because if you're listening to it when you're further on in life, it feels melancholy. But if you're listening to it when you're at the point in your life when, you know, all you need to do is pack a suitcase and go, then it's encouraging. Like depending on where you're at in life, it's different in how you feel about it. Because I listened to it as a teenager and I listen to it now and I have different feelings. It's almost like a, this song is like a dare. Like the fir- the very first line is pack yourself a toothbrush, dear. Pack yourself a favorite blouse. Take a withdrawal slip. Take all of your savings out. Because if we don't leave this town, we might never make it out. And it's like, it's almost like a dare. Like do this and let's go now or you're going to be stuck here forever. And I think that that like does happen to you, you know, like even if you do take the first leap, you get stuck in where you're at. And then it's like, I missed it. Like I missed the opportunity. It's a song that makes you think. It is interesting that you mentioned the song is the same, but you're a different person when you first heard it when you are now. I mean, I don't know if different person's the right way, but you've gone through things and you're you're in a different space now than you were back then. Yeah. And it affects you differently. And that, that's that's the fascinating thing about songs and the, and the way our mind interprets things then and now. And it's all colored by our experiences and, right. and all that. And this song, like the, the verse that I just read, it starts that way and it ends that way. So it's almost like, I dare you to do this. And then at the very end, it's like, are you really going to do it? So it kind of, it's like a sandwich song. It starts the same as it ends. And so it really like hits home. Bookends. Yeah, the bookends. Pack yourself a toothbrush, dear. Pack yourself a favorite blouse. Take a withdrawal slip. Take all of your savings out. Cause if we don't leave this town, we might never make it out. That's my third pick. And there we have it. And I hope uh, hope some of our connection issues are going to bleed through. I apologize for that. But next time, we will have that all figured out. And I hope everybody enjoyed our 
discussions on the songwriting, storytelling in, in pop music or music in general. And as we say in the right note, keep your pen to the page and write on. <laughs>